House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Today is one of the one of the better ones. Um, um, Kevin is joining me as co-host. Hey, Kevin from the road. Hey, y'all. Yep, I'm your man on the street. Yeah. Um, so. This this now before I I don't even know how to introduce him. It's just an amazing person. I, I Kevin, you know how people always say to me they can never tell if I'm serious or joking or they can never read me. And uh, th this guest uh, makes me look like uh, nothing on this. Um, so here we go. Let's just get right into it. Uri Geller, thank you for being here. Hey, uh, Alan and Kevin, thanks very much for inviting me onto your show and what a compliment I'm getting. So you can call me every day so I can hear the same compliment every day. We will. <laughs> hey. Every morning. Careful oh, what you ask for. <laughs> so just, just to uh, put um, our listeners into the geographical picture, you were speaking from Seattle, and I'm now sitting in my very uh, small apartment uh, overlooking the Mediterranean, and uh, we live in an incredible, magical place called Old Jaffa in Israel. And uh, that's after 48 years of living overseas. Uh, we lived in New York for 10 years, where my children were born. And then in 1983, we moved to England. We lived in England for about 33 years. And about two years ago, we decided to come back to our homeland, and we love it here. Uh, we, we um, you know, we are back with our people. Um, there is always a burning candle in the heart of every Israeli if they live abroad to come back to Israel. So we made that leap, uh, leap of faith, and we are back. And um, yeah, and we love old Jaffa. Uh, I'm opening an Uri Geller museum in a year's time. So I'm very, very busy with this project. Yeah, I heard that about the museum in Old Jaffa. And you're going to have the largest bent metal spoon there as well? Yes, I, I've decided to create something that is very unique. Uh, hopefully we'll get into the Guinness Book of World Records. And as you all probably know, I'm the originator of spoon bending. Um, and even today, I cannot believe how I managed to instill spoon bending into world culture. You know, needless to say, there are movies, uh, The Matrix with Keanu Reeves learning how to bend a spoon from a child. I, that's, that was in the first Matrix. I know I'm mm -hmm. going to drop some names and I might be sounding showing off, but George Clooney played me, Robert De Niro played me. I mentioned in big rock bands like Incubus, um, Woody Allen mentions me in his movie. So, that's the phenomenon to me, not the spoon bending, but the, the way uh, the, the, the spoon bending took uh, the world by surprise and it, it took the world alike. And um, I, I decided to create this giant spoon. It'll weigh 10 tons. It'll be 18 meters in length, and it will be right outside my museum. So there's no doubt that every tourist that comes to Israel will want to photograph the spoon. I've already had requests from the Russian Space Agency to photograph the spoon from space. 
So yeah, it's going to be uh, uh, quite quite amazing. And when if you ever come to Israel, I'll be definitely more than happy to show you around. Oh no, now Uri, I, I've got to ask: Did this start out as a normal spoon and you bent it? Oh come on! If I could bend an 18 meter spoon, you know, <laughs> I I would be probably the most um, famous man in the world. But no, the spoon will be manufactured bent, and um, yeah, it, it'll actually, uh, you know, stand as a sculpture, because here in Israel, especially in these uh, ancient places, because all Jaffa is 6,000 years old, uh, you know, you've got to get yes. licenses, mm -hmm. and you've got to get permissions, and there are committees who kind of um, sit on the spoon, and they, they decide, is it, is it appropriate for there or not? But hopefully, um, I will be getting the license very, very soon. But you know, my career started here in Israel. Um, I was five years old when I was eating soup and the spoon bent in my hand. Then I kind of became very well known, very famous in Israel uh, in the end, after my army. Uh, I, I served as a paratrooper for three years. I was wounded in the Six-Day War. Uh, then I worked for the Mossad for a few years, and then came the big jump. The Mossad, which to those who don't know, is the kind of the CIA of Israel. They didn't really understand how I was, I was delivering to them uh, very important information that they asked me to to deliver to them. So they called the CIA, and um, the CIA said, "Yeah, we'd love to study this." Uri Geller character. So in 1972, I left Israel. I went straight to California, to Palo Alto, to be studied by the American government. Uh, I was studied at Stanford Research Institute, which today is uh, Stanford University. There are some very interesting documentaries on my website, Alan and Kevin, where you actually see um, CIA agents talk about the experiments. There's the one documentary is called The Secret Life of Uri Geller, which is a BBC production. My website is urigeller.com, and I urge you to watch that because I'm hugely controversial. There are also those who try to debunk me and attack me. Uh, and, you know, I was on Johnny Carson for 22 yeah. minutes, humiliated mm -hmm. by him. But... You know, at the end of the day, I learned something very, very important. A hundred years ago, Oscar Wilde said something really very powerful. He said, there is only one worse thing in life than being talked about, and that's not being talked about. <laughs> so, yes. so, you know, the skeptics and the controversy fueled the wheel of publicity around me. And I guess maybe that's why my longevity... Uh, it's really, for me, again, it's still hard to believe that after 50 years, I, I'm still around. But what an amazing life. You've, you've uh, been very fortunate uh, living in these great places in the world and, and being able to um, do what you want to do, in essence. I think it's amazing. I saw that uh, little documentary last night um, about all of the... Uh, in the uh, held in Palo Alto, and that and I thought was pretty good, and the Johnny Carson thing. Yeah, we watched that. Um, now there, there's a few things coming up. Now you actually 
um, because of the release of some secret files um, by CIA, you were actually used or worked with the CIA, or how did that go? When they uh, discovered that what I do is real, because, you know, you, you can't trick uh, controlled conditioned experiments. You can't be a magician. Once you're locked in a shielded room, and a drawing is done in Langley, Virginia, or a CIA agent, you know, we, we're talking about the early 70s. There were no mobile phones then. There's no Skype. There's no Twitter. There's no Facebook. There is no Instagram. You had the old-fashioned black phones. So when they drew drawings thousands of miles away, and I duplicated them in a shielded room, in a Faraday cage mm -hmm. in California. A floating room. Yep. Uh, that's, that's, you know, it's real, and that's it. I don't care what skeptics say. Uh, when the CIA realized that it is genuine, uh, they, I started working for them. So I did some very amazing things. I was asked to spy on the Russian embassy in Mexico City. I was asked to um, see if I could feel if Lee Harvey Oswald, who assassinated President Kennedy, visited uh, that place. Uh, then there were many different missions. Uh, I remember when President Carter was interviewed by a student in a university, the student asked him if there were anything unusual that happened throughout his presidency, and he said, oh yeah, a Russian plane crashed in Zaire, and psychics found the plane for us. I've done things that um, are still top secret. What the CIA released um, just over a year ago is just the tip of the iceberg. And um, there was one instant, which is not secret, was when um, Ambassador Max Kempelman from Washington and the head of the American Foreign Relations Committee, Senator Claiborne Pell, they asked me to bombard the Russians to sign the Nuclear Arms Reduction Treaty. So they came to London to brief me. I was living then in, in England. And then they uh, flew me. Uh, with, Al, with Al Gore, Vice President Al Gore at that time, to Geneva. And my task was to get close to Yuli Voronsov, the Russian negotiator, and bombard his mind telepathically to sign the Nuclear Arms Reduction Treaty. I, mean, I know it okay. sounds far out, and it's almost bizarre and, and, and strange to hear this, but I got very close to him, and I bombarded him to sign, and he signed. Of course, I cannot take full credit for it. There are other, you know, implications and other things were in motion. But those are the type of things I did for the FBI. I um, induced into Russian uh, diplomats the word defect successfully. Um, there, I remember this FBI asked me to locate a serial killer called the Son of Sam, who was David Berkovich, and I pointed exactly on he, at where he lived in Yonkers, New York. Uh, so there were very, very unusual tasks and missions that I had throughout my life. And the show business side of Uri Geller was perfect because it, it was a cover. And I have to thank the skeptics for making all that noise that I'm not real because that was an inbuilt safety device for me, Alan and Kevin. Hmm. Now, this, this is absolutely remarkable, Uri. Um, 
Let's back up just a little bit, though. Let's let's kind of go back to the beginning. To what do you attribute these abilities that you have? Are these natural abilities, or were you gifted with these abilities, or did it come from, you know, some some type of outside source? How did it start for you? Okay, let me tell you how it started. And again, it will sound like I'm describing a science fiction film. But when I was around five or six, I was playing in an Arabic garden across my apartment building, a small, tiny four-floor apartment which no longer exists. And by the way, I'm speaking to you from Old Jaffa, which the flight of a bird is maybe three kilometers from the place where it happened. And um, suddenly in this Arabic garden, I encounter a sphere of light. I was, you know, I was only six, so it wasn't, you know, I just looked at this thing, and out of it emanated a, it, almost like a laser beam type of light, which hit my forehead very strongly with a powerful force, and it pushed me into the grass. I don't know how long I lay in the grass, but I, I ran home to tell my mother. Of course, she didn't believe me. She thought that I was inventing it or lying or I dreamt it. Uh, but I told her it really happened. Now, many, many decades later, just about 10 years ago, an Israeli Air Force officer actually validated that, that encounter. He wrote me an email after hearing this on a BBC documentary which, uh, where I was telling this. And he said to me, Uri, I was walking in and on my right was this Arabic garden, and I saw this little boy with black curly hair, with a white shirt, and this huge sphere of light, and I saw the little boy running across the street to his uh, door, doorway, and this thing uh, kind of followed me, and it exploded on the building, leaving a black residue, and that black residue was there for years. So to me, this was an amazing validation because I wrote about this happening. I wrote about this experience. Of course, you know, nobody believed it, but I, I never, you know, I never shone away from it because it happened to me. I know it happened. So this was an incredible validation coming from a very credible source, a, an Israeli Air Force officer. So that's how it began. Very soon after that, I ate soup, the spoon bent in my hand, and that it gave me, well, I showed off with a spoon in school. Children were kind of were amazed. Teacher, I, I, I blew the minds of teachers. And um, I realized that that's what's going to pull me out of the poverty we were in. And I focused on it. I enhanced it. I exercised this ability. And then I just could do it on command. So this is how it all developed. So, you know, Maria, it's not unbelievable at all. I mean, you're in the Holy Land. Holy things are going to happen. Um, but g given the culture of, of Israel and what I know of it, it were, were you seen as, as almost a messianic figure, or did you kind of keep it quiet? Did your parents take, you know, warn you to, okay, we need to kind of keep this quiet? I mean... Um, not, not really. First of all, if you didn't know... Um, I'm related to Sigmund Freud. My mother was a Freud. Uh, she was from Vienna. And my mother always thought that I inherited certain abilities from the great psychologist, Sigmund Freud. 
Um, I don't know if that's true because my kids can't do this, can't bend spoons and they cannot read minds. But no, I wasn't. It wasn't a, a holy. It wasn't a. It wasn't a. It wasn't spiritually. It was Israel was just after the Six Day War, and um, mothers and and families lost uh, young, you know, sons, and they saw me as a kind of a connector to the other world. I I looked at it as showbiz. Uh, I bent spoons on stage and I read mind. I became incredibly famous in Israel until the Mossad grabbed me. And um, I look at it today, if I ask myself what was it, I will tell you what the theories are. First of all, I'm a great believer in extraterrestrial life. There's no doubt in my mind that aliens exist. I've never seen an alien, but I've seen UFOs. So did millions of people. So I'm a great believer in, in the, the, in, in beings from outer space. Now, the mm -hmm. most far-out theory could be that this was an extraterrestrial encounter. Now, let's put that aside, because that's the most far-out. Second, it could have been a spiritual experience. Third, it could have, could have been a geophysical experience. Um, and the, fifth, the, the fourth or fifth one would be that we all have these powers, we all have these abilities, and I have it stronger than others. That, that's very simple because throughout my life, when I did my interactive television, millions of spoons bent in people's homes. Broken watches started ticking across uh, America, across Japan, across Germany. I mean, I can do an experiment with you right now. Uh, you know, ask, we'll ask our um, listeners to... Um, do, by the way, do you have commercials, uh, Alan, on this show? Uh, yeah, there's two commercials. So when, uh, I don't know if you engage the commercials while we speak, uh, do you have the commercials while we speak or not? Um, no, typically not. I keep that out. So, let, so let's do the following. Before a commercial, I want you to put this on, you know, leave this on air. I'm asking everybody at home to go and get um, spoons, um, keys, and broken watches, old watches, your grandfather's, your, your grandmother's, pocket watches, bring them to the radio, because when we come back from the commercial, I will do an amazing thing in your homes. And uh, then you will be able to, to let Alan know, I don't know, through your website, through Facebook, whatever you have, Alan. I, I'm, sure, I'm sure you allow people to get in touch with you. W what way do people get in touch with you, Alan? Oh, uh, Twitter, Facebook are the most popular. Okay, so when we, 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 we conclude the experiment, um, let Alan know what happened to you in your own home. Only if something happens, of course, because it doesn't happen all the time. It doesn't happen to everyone. And, and you'll see, Alan, that you'll have a very unusual reaction. So, so many years I thought that it was my energy that was flying through the television, out into, out from TV sets. I thought that my energy was coming out of radios, but I was wrong because in UCLA, um, there was a scientist, a doctor called Dr. Thelma Moss, and she tested my powers on students. But I didn't know that it was filmed secretly by her. And when I went back to New York, she played my video two weeks later to another set of students with more broken watches. And lo and behold, the watches started working from that video. And when she called me in New York, 
um, telling me this, I said, no way. I wasn't even concentrating. I didn't even know that you were playing my video. But she said, yes, watch it started. That's when it dawned on me that I was only a catalyst. I was only a trigger. I was only an enabler, an enabler to the powers of the mind of people at home. Mm -hmm. So do do you compare that to kind of like group prayer or group thoughts? Um, Is it the same type of power? Uh, Maybe, because I'm a huge believer in the power of prayer. I believe in God. Uh, But when, you know, I get 300 emails a day. And a lot of people think I'm a healer, but I'm not a healer. So I immediately tell them to go to a doctor uh, and have yourself checked out. But, you know, there are, there are tests and experiments, scientific tests where, you know, you probably have spoken to it about this many times on your show, that a group of people were prayed for uh, that were ill, and another group of people were not prayed for. And the people who were prayed for healed faster. But if you ask any doctor, any doctor will tell you that if he has a patient who is a, a positive thinker and he has a positive mind, a frame of mind, he will heal faster than someone negative. So maybe you're right. Maybe there is some kind of a connection because I'm a, I'm a believer also that all humanity, we are all attached to each other with an invisible spiritual thread from, in which we can send energies all around the world to, to humans. Um, but you know, when I get all these emails every day, which I try to answer, and, and again, you will find my email address on, on my website, which is again, www.urigeller.com. Geller is double L. Um, you will find all my books free of charge, all the videos. Nothing is, I, I don't ask for money for, for anything. But I try to motivate people. I get lots of emails from youngsters. And they all want me to teach them how to bend a spoon. And I tell them, no, forget spoon bending. Instead, focus on school, believe in yourself, become a positive thinker, create a target goal to go to university, never ever smoke, never touch drugs, and always think of success. And it's very simple. My equation or the equation is just crystal clear. Look, Alan and Kevin. If you can go there with your mind, you can go there with your body. Because whatever you can visualize, you can materialize. And there is nothing that you cannot be, do, or have. Because at the end of the day, you are the architect of your own life. And that's, 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 that's simple. Yes, uh, uh, let's make a comparison um, here, Uri, because, I mean, I am with you uh, 100% so far in everything that you just said. And I love to use this example. Before Jesus could heal anybody, what did he ask them? He always asked them, do you believe that I can do this? So was it the divinity of Jesus or was it that person's belief and, you know, readjustment of self-image that created the healing that that that's an that that's an amazing question and you're you're answering it because you know jesus was a rabbi then uh you know he was a healer and um you're right it's very very much to do with belief power but let me surprise you about a recent poll um you know that believers today around the world are the majority 
Paranormal acceptance in America is rising. Did you know that almost 80% of Americans believe in at least one paranormal phenomenon, whether it's lost civilizations or alien encounters, past or present, in telekinesis, in fortune-telling, in Bigfoot, in haunting spirits? It is amazing. So we are, most of the people on this planet, whether there are 7 or 8 billion people, we are believers. So we are open-minded. Therefore, I believe that there will be a huge paradigm shift very soon. But mm -hmm. there are a lot of things that we have to worry about. There are wars, there are thousands of nuclear weapons, there are still diseases ravaging the world. Every three seconds a baby dies from hunger somewhere around the world. The ice caps are melting. There are meteorites that swoosh by Earth. So there are lots of things that we have to uh, care about in order to uh, get this planet in order or, or make this planet survive if we want to go on living on, on our Earth. So for you, Uri, what are the mechanics? I mean, I can understand group belief, and I understand your belief and your abilities. So when you actually do these amazing things, you know, the, the, the spoon bending, ah, you know, to, to me is okay, but I, I've got to know about the watches. To me, that is something that you can't control. There's no sleight of hand involved. There's, there's no trick. It just is. So what are the mechanics? What does Uri do when you do these? Do you become part of the watch and fix it, you know, mentally? I, I don't understand how you do that. Uh, but I don't understand either. I can only kind of theorize that it's some type of an energy that leaves my mind. It's nothing to do with my hands or my fingers. Penetrates the watch and fixes it. By the way, I have thousands of stories from people around the world that had pocket watches that were over 100 years old, and there were parts missing in it. The, the watchmakers told them that. There were uh, broken parts in it, and they started ticking. Parts materialized, broken parts materialized suddenly. But that's not that far out. Edgar Mitchell, the astronaut, who was a six-month on the moon, he tested me. And uh, there were materializations and dematerializations uh, when we did experiments, these are so far out to believe, but hey, you know, for, first of all, to those people out there who don't really know what scientific testings I've done, you know, from Stanford, I went to the Lawrence Livermore Radiation Labs. That's where they build nuclear bombs. And people, start, scientists studied me there. From there, I was taken to the American Naval Surface Weapons Center. From there, I was taken by um, uh, Werner von Braun, you know, the rocket scientist, the German yes. rocket scientist to be tested in NASA. Uh, Professor Viktor Weisskopf, who is a physicist who studied under Niels Bohr, who worked on the atom bomb and oversaw the development of European atom smashers. He tested me. Uh, George Edward Tate, who was appointed to the president of the United States Science Advisory Committee, and the inspirational creator and, and sounding research director of Xerox Corporation in Palo Alto, he tested me. I mean, I can go on. Edgar Mitchell, the astronaut. So I've gone through, my goodness, hundreds of tests. 
And in many of them, there were materializations and dematerializations, which is a fact. And let me tell you something which is mind-blowing. National Security Agency, you both agree with me that that's a big organization, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So some of the tests that I went through were with MI5 in London. One of the scientists who was leading the tests was David Bohm. David Bohm worked with Albert Einstein. I mean, these names are known to all our listeners right now. Albert Einstein. So David Bohm experienced something so phenomenal with another professor called Professor John Hasted that National Security Agency, NSA, they decided that if I can materialize or dematerialize an object, then what about 10 Uri Gellers or 20 Uri Gellers or 30 Uri Gellers working at the same time on one point, they could probably make a city disappear. Now, listen to me. These words that I'm telling you are in the CIA documents that were released recently. They are on my website. And what I'm telling you now, you will read in NSA documents that have been released for publication by the American you know, Defense Department, whoever released them. I've put them all on my website because it's so unbelievable. And you know what? They were right. I think that if enough people can concentrate and they can make things appear and disappear, then the size of what they're focusing on doesn't really matter. If the theoretical science is behind it, hey, what's the big deal to make something appear or make something dematerialize? My God. How, uh, <laughs> hey, guys, are you with me? <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm just... <laughs> you, you, you gave me a lot to process there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and, well, and, you, and, and you know, Alan and Kevin, the, 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 the most astonishing is that this is not my words. These words come from the CIA and uh, NSA. Uh, the story is there. Uh, it, it came out in publication. Very few people noticed it because it's kind of buried inside the words there. But get on my website, take some time, get on the CIA stuff, it's under my museum, and start reading what the media says. And there is one document that the, that the publication, I uh, can't remember what the name of the publication published, the NSA documents. And it's, it's right in there. So, and by the way, the remote viewing, um, you know, there is a remote viewing. I started the remote viewing, I believe, uh, for the American government in 1972. Uh, the tests were conducted by Hal Putoff and uh, Russell Targ in Palo Alto, both physicists. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people think that uh, the remote viewing project has be, has, uh, was terminated, but it's not terminated. It simply went deep black. And in the, the documentary by the BBC called The Secret Life of Uri Geller, you will see these people telling you why it was terminated publicly, but why they think it's still going on uh, deep black. Oh, well, it was, of course it's still going on. I mean, we had Sunstreak in the late 70s and early 80s. You know, we got Captain Ed Dames. Um, but but going back to your experiment, I mean this, this topic fascinates me, Uri, and and we're we're kind of stepping inside 
the arena of quantum physics, if we're making objects appear and disappear, when they're not here, where do they go, in, 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 in your understanding? Well, you just said the, the kind of the magical word, quantum mechanics, quantum physics, uh, quantum entanglement. And the big question that we ask ourselves today is, first of all, am I creating you now? Do you at all exist? Or am I creating you with consciousness? Because consciousness is the state or quality of awareness or of being aware of an external object or something within oneself. And it has also been defined as um, sentience, awareness, subjectivity. It's the ability to experience or to feel wakefulness, having a sense of selfhood and the executive control of the mind. So it is possible, Alan and Kevin, that I'm creating you now or via versa, that you are creating me. It is amazing what quantum, mechan uh, quantum entanglement is. It's in, it, to me, it's infinite, meaning there is no end to it. So I don't know. Our, my mind, as a human mind, cannot comprehend, uh, doesn't have the capacity to understand what it, what it means and where it goes, whether it goes to a black hole, to a vertigo type of a, where the planes in Bermuda Triangle disappeared, or whether it goes to a different dimension, who knows? But as we develop, our minds become more powerful. You know, some say we use only 7%, 10% of our mind. I believe that we might be using more, and maybe 10,000 years from now we'll be using more. So we, we won't be communicating um, verbally. We'll be communicating telepathically. I mean, superhumans with ability to read anyone's mind could be real by 2038. It's, it's incredible how we are advancing, and very soon we'll be able to move things psychokinetically, uh, dematerialize on command, materialize on command. We won't have airplanes, cars, ships. We'll be able to uh, transport our body psychically from point A to point B around the world. Uh, so, so really, again, the mechanics, who knows where this goes, where it disappears, where it appears from, I really, I really don't know. I have to tell you that Albert Einstein, um, beside being an amazing man, he once said something very beautiful. This is what he said. And this all kind of, uh, it kind of uh, encompasses, it closes the whole mystery of the universe. Albert Einstein said uh, that the most beautiful thing we can experience is the mysterious. It is the source of all true art and science. He to whom this emotion is a stranger, who can no longer pause to wonder and stand wrapped in awe, is as good as dead. His eyes are closed. So you and I and Kevin and probably 95% of your listeners are open-minded. So we are open to these, this phenomenon of consciousness, of the superhuman mind, of telepathy, of psychokinesis, of remote viewing, of God, the bigger picture of the creator. 
of holiness, of spirituality, and so on and so on and so on. It never ends. It's infinite. You know, and, well, and uh, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Al. I was just going to say, if, if, if you're creating us right now, <laughs> could you make me about 6'2", <laughs> blonde hair? <laughs> <laughs> you're funny. You have to come to Israel and I'll make you, I'll give you that height, okay? Okay. <laughs> um, so listen, uh, the I'm other there. thing that I wanted to tell you, um, there are so many things that are on my mind. How many more minutes do we have on the show? Let's see, we've got uh, uh, 14 minutes. Okay, within the 14 minutes I'll come back and do the experiment with the spoons and the watches. But I want to also kind of alight you and ignite your mind about the number 1111, which I started noticing when I was about 40. And I wrote a story about it on my website, uh, and I, I named it, If Your Eyes Are Attracted to 1111. And lo and behold, I got thousands of emails from around the world, people telling me, oh, my God, when I drive my car, I see 1111. I'm in my hotel, my back to a digital clock on the wall. Something makes me turn around, and it's 1111. I mean, there's endless 1111 stories. And what is fascinating is that if you come to think of it, John Kennedy is 11 letters. Bill Clinton is 11 letters. Jimmy Carter is 11 letters. Barack Obama is 11 letters. George W. Bush is 11 letters. But, um, Donald Trump is 11 letters. Jesus Christ is 11 letters. I mean, I can go on and on and on. So on my website, you'll find a fascinating article that I wrote. What I believe is the phenomenon of uh, 1111. Also, one more little thing, and then I'll do the experiment. When I bought the, um, the property that is over a 1,000 years old of my museum, which will take me a year to refurbish, we discovered, I doused, you know, I found oil and gold for big mining companies. Uh, as a matter of fact, I found oil for Penex, which is the national oil company of Mexico. And the Mexican president was so impressed that he made me a Mexican citizen that I actually have a Mexican passport. And um, I doused in the museum, and I, I felt that there's something under, under the ground. So I got permission from the Israeli Antiquity Department to clear the dirt. And lo and behold, um, I found a soap factory, a, an olive oil soap factory, uh, oh. The pictures are on my website, which um, is probably hundreds of years old because hundreds of years ago the Muslims didn't buy soap from uh, Europe because it was made from pig oil, and this is the first oil, uh, um, the first oil, olive oil factory in that in this region of Israel. So it's quite fascinating, and I, I'm also a great believer in land ley lines. So I bought an island in Scotland. A small island. It was, wasn't expensive because I believe that the ley lines from my island, which is called Lamb Island, go through Roslyn Chapel um, straight down to the pyramids. So I'm so open-minded with these things that um, it's, it's really in, uh, unbelievable. Now, let's do the experiment. Here Prepared? Legacy Food Storage 
The best way to protect your family is by being prepared. Go now to LegacyFoodStorage.com. Use coupon code HOM15 now for 15% off. Quick, go. Okay, now we are back from the commercial break. Um, and as remember, I told you to bring broken watches, a spoon, pocket watches, and so on, maybe other things that are not working in your home or in your car. First of all, if you're driving a car, don't take your eyes off the road. But if you have a broken component in the car, focus on it when I tell you to. You people at home, if you have broken watches that belong to your grandfather, grandmother, father, etc., um, old um, clocks, wind them up. Although they're broken, please wind them up if they have a winder. And now place the watches in the palm of your hands and close the, your hand on the broken timepieces. If you do have a, a spoon, if you did bring a spoon or a bunch of keys, place them on the radio. I know, again, it sounds so we, weird and bizarre, but do exactly what I tell you. And now, when, I, when I'm going to say one, two, three, all of you at home and driving cars, we're going to shout out the word work. We'll do it three times. And you, Alan, and you, Kevin, can join me when I say one, two, three. We shout out the word work. So here we go. And truly believe that when you shout out the word work, you believe that you're triggering an energy that can penetrate those broken timepieces and make them come alive and make them tick again. So here we go. We do it very quickly. One, two, three, work. 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 Alan, I want you to, Kevin, I want more passion. Shout it out. One more time. One, two, three, work. Work. And one last time. One, two, three, work. Work. Now, everyone at home, open your hands. Look at the watches. If you have a second hand, did it start? Did it tick? Is it ticking? Is it moving? If you don't have a second hand, lift the watch or the clock to your ear and listen. Listen carefully. Is it ticking? If your watch or the clock or anything that was broken in your house did start from this little experiment, please make sure that Alan knows about it through the, the face, Facebook. If nothing happened to you, don't be disappointed because it doesn't happen to everyone. It doesn't happen all the time. If a spoon jumped off the radio, if a key bent, let us know. And um, yes, Alan, when you get the report, just also you know, write me an email and tell me uh, what happened to your listeners. Will you do that? I will. I will, for sure. And, and also, besides writing to Alan, you can also write me. My email address is on my website. Uh, it's uri at urigeller.com. That's great. Now, now, what happens if your watch stops? <laughs> uh, it's very rare that that happens, but maybe your, your energy was too strong. But I asked for broken watches. So those watches, you know, in pocket watches, um, were not working. Uh, but this is a very interesting experiment because, hey, I'm in Jaffa. This is a tape show, uh, but it has no significance. It's really the triggering of your mind. I'm just simply acting as a catalyst. I'm an enabler. I'm a trigger for the powers of your mind. That's amazing, you know. Hey, uh, now, if if I could ask, um, 
how does the uh, a negative effects or the people that attack you um, actually affect your performance or your work? Like when we were well, talking about uh, yeah, Johnny Carson yeah. and, and Randy and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, when I was on Johnny Carson, you know, it was a trap. I, I walked into a trap because they had a, a situation with James Randy and so on. But, you know, God bless James Randy. I have to send him a thousand bouquets of flowers because he launched my career. You see, what the skeptics, most skeptics didn't understand is that it doesn't matter. As long as I spell my name correctly, that's what is important. It doesn't matter what they say because people's span of attention is very short. So after the Johnny Carson show, um, I mean, things did happen. I bent a spoon in Ricardo Montalban's hand, but that wasn't enough for Johnny Carson. He kind of scoffed and sneered. I thought I was finished. I went back to my hotel, fell on the bed, devastated, and I planned to pack up my belongings, suitcase, the next day fly back to Tel Aviv, Israel. But the, the, the opposite happened. In the morning, the phone rings, and the operator comes on, and she says to me, Mr. Geller, um, I have a, a Merv Griffin on the line for you. So mm. I, I said, what, you mean the Merv Griffin? She says, he says that's who he is. And uh, she switches him on, and it is him. And Murph says to me, Uri, I saw you last night on Johnny Carson. I want you on my show this week. And that's when it dawned on me. What I always knew, actually, from Israel, that all publicity is good publicity. Controversy is the best thing that could have happened to me. I mean, that Johnny Carson clip has been viewed by six million people, maybe more. Do you realize how many people have to fill up the Shea Auditorium or the, the, the Rose Bowl? I mean, it's unbelievable how many people tuned in to see that Johnny Carson video. So it means that, oh, Uri Geller, they know Uri Geller. So the, the skeptics actually helped me tremendously. And whenever I read something that was negative, I, I, well, I didn't read it. I always measured it. It was a page long. Wow. I, I thought, well, how much would Mercedes or Nissan would have to pay for a full page ad? That's what I got free. <laughs> you know, That's I'm a publicist. I'm a, I'm, an, I, I'm a natural born PR man. That's me and nothing can change that. I'm an Israeli, I have chutzpah, I, um, I you know, went on with the flow, I, I'm nice to everyone, uh, people stop me every day in the streets here from all over the world because I've been everywhere around the world. Uh, right now I'm a judge in um, Go Talent, you know that show, that famous show. Mm. I'm in, engaged in uh, refurbishing my museum and... Um, uh, you know, you, you never know what, what's next. So you emailed me, you wanted to interview me, and here you are. You were interviewed, we're, we're being, you know, I'm being interviewed, and you sound like a real nice person. Well, thank you. Yeah, you do too. I'm Ma re really happy to have you here. Thank you. You know, my next big project, and that's just before we sign off, is um, I'm actually, because I found this uh, soap factory, I've been asked to look for the Ark of the Covenant. And, uh, you oh know, ever since, the, ever since the Babylonian uh, captivity of Jerusalem in the 6th century, that's B.C. 
E, the whereabouts of the Ark of the Covenant has been a mystery. As, it's as described in the Old Testament of the Bible. The Ark served as the visible sign of God's presence to the Israelites. And you know, um, Alan, according to the Bible, the Ark was last known to have rested in the Temple of Solomon in Jerusalem. Now, whether it was destroyed or stolen or moved or remained hidden after Babylonian forces conquered the city and they actually leveled the temple in uh, 587 BCE is not known. And uh, another mystery concerning the Ark is its, its, is its content. You know, the Ark is said to contain numerous sacred relics, including the tablets of the law from God that Moses got. I believe I can find it. So this is my next mission now. Wow, that's pretty amazing. That's that's a task. (laughs) Yep. Wow, wow. Now, usually when you ask what's coming up next, it's not that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm going to write another book, or I'm going to do another show, but you're going to find the art. (laughs) I hope so. I believe in myself. I really believe in myself. Well, as, well as, as a Jewish man, I hope you find it, seriously. Thank you. But listen, you guys, um, Alan and, and Kevin, make a point of coming to Israel. I mean, this is a whole, Jerusalem is a holy city of all religions. Jesus walked here. You should walk on his, in his footsteps. That's the Via della Rosa, which takes you to the Wailing Wall. Uh, you know, it's an amazing country, Israel. So um, it'll be fun to have you here, and I'll, I promise I'll take you around. Well, we we would love to. I know we would. I would take you up on it. <laughs> Great. Okay, so listen, it was yep. it was a pleasure being with both of you. Yes, yes, very much. And I hope that we're able to have you on again. Um, anytime you have something to talk about or anything going on in the world or a new book or a, you find the uh, ark, um, we're here. I Give think- us a call. Alan, I think when I find the ark, you are going to give me a call. Well, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> well, uh, hopefully, you'll call us first. I'll do that. Listen, God bless you both. God bless all your listeners. A big hug and uh, a big kiss from me to all your listeners, wherever you are. And um, hopefully, uh, I'll get some emails from you and I'll, I'll try to answer them all. Okay? Of course you will. Yes, thank you. My website again is uh, my website again is www.urigeller.com. Love you all. Thank you very much. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.